Well, good morning, Redeemer. It is great to be here with you. Uh, you have grown a lot since I was last here, uh, but that may have also been because last time I was here, I was pre preaching to a camera. Uh, it was in the middle of COVID, so it is great to see uh, so many people back. I used to be heavily involved at Redeemer when Cornerstone and Redeemer were, were more tightly connected, uh, and I love it here. I love you guys. So it is an honor and it is a privilege uh, to have the opportunity uh, to preach from God's word to you this morning. So let's get right to that. Let's jump into things. Uh, would you open your Bibles with me uh, to Acts chapter 16? We are going to be looking at verses 1 to 5 this morning. And as you turn there, I want to begin by asking you a question. I want you to think about what lengths would you be willing to go to to make the gospel known around this world? What sacrifices would you be willing to make in order to make Christ known? Would you be willing to forego the beautiful comforts of home, that air conditioning and the, the hot summer days? Would you be willing to put in the time and effort that it takes to learn a foreign language so that you could speak one-on-one -on -one, uh, with the native people? Would you be willing to say goodbye to friends and family, perhaps knowing that you will never see them again? Would you deem Christ worthy of sacrifices like these? Well, the good news is that the history of the church tells the story of many men and women who deemed Christ worthy, who gave their lives, who gave all of their worldly comforts in order to go to the mission field and share Christ. One of the people I want to talk to you about, which is briefly this morning, is a man named Hudson Taylor. Maybe you've heard of him. Uh, he is the 19th century missionary to China, and this was a man who knew what it took uh, to make sacrifices in order to be as effective as possible. Before Hudson Taylor went on the mission field, he spent years learning the Mandarin language out of a desire to speak to them. And not only did he spend years learning Mandarin, but he spent years learning medicine because he knew that he had to have something practical, something that would bridge the gap between him and the Chinese. So he studied hard. He wasn't a missionary just because God kind of grabbed a hold of his heart one day and he went on a whim. No, God grabbed a hold of his heart and then he worked hard in order to go and be as effective as possible. And what's fascinating, despite all of his hard work, even when he arrived, there was still this gap between him and the people. They still kept him at arm's reach because he did not look like them. He was a large man. He had white skin, obviously. He had blonde hair. So further sacrifices were necessary. He left behind his Western clothing. He began to wear the traditional dress of the Chinese people. He even dyed his hair from blonde to black in order to be better received by these people. He was willing to go to whatever lengths necessary in order to share Jesus Christ. And he's famous for having said this, let us in everything not sinful become like the Chinese, but that, that by all means we may save some. Right, Hudson Taylor was a man who sacrificed his time, his comforts, and even his health for the sake of making Christ known. Now at this point, hopefully you've had an opportunity to turn to Acts 16. We're going to hear about another man willing to make a sacrifice for the sake of gospel witness. So let's read this together. Acts 16, 1-5. Hear now the word of the Lord. Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places. For they all knew that his father was a Greek. 
As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decision that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in faith, and they increased in numbers daily. This is the word of the Lord. Be to God. So this short story is quite easy to understand. There's nothing too complicated going on here. So we're going to divide up our time this way. We're going to start by just asking a couple questions to make sure we do understand the story. But then we're going to ask some questions. What does this story have to say to us about missions? What are the implications on how we do missions? Because that's the real heart of this story. But let's begin by unpacking. I think the first question we should be asking here is, who was Timothy? Chances are, if you're a Bible reader, you're already familiar with Timothy. There are, after all, two books in the New Testament named after him, right? First and Second Timothy. Uh, but just to be clear, he did not write those books. Those were books written by the Apostle Paul to Timothy. Uh, Timothy was a young church leader, uh, and he was given charge of the church, and Paul gave him a couple of letters just to give him some wisdom and insight on how to lead. But our very first appearance of Timothy is not in those letters. It is in this passage that we have just read this morning. And there are a few important things that we learn about him. First, we learn he was from the city of Lystra. We learn that his mother was a Jewish believer in Christ and that his father was a Greek. We're also told that Timothy himself was a disciple of Christ at this time and that he was well spoken of by his fellow believers. He was already recognized as a leader amongst men, someone with a true heart for God. In 2 Timothy 1.5, the Apostle Paul says this of Timothy. He says, I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwells first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. Did you notice anyone missing? Right, Faith of your grandmother, faith of your mother, but there is no mention at all of Timothy's father. Timothy is an interesting character because not only was he both ethnically Jewish and Greek, but he had one parent who loved the Lord Jesus Christ and another parent who did not. And you can imagine that this would have resulted in quite the difficult upbringing as he heard one thing from his mom and the opposite from his dad. And the fact that he wasn't circumcised even lends us to believe that his dad was probably keeping him apart from his Jewish heritage. He said, no, 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 I don't want you to have anything to do with this faith. That's interesting, isn't it? I think we should just pause there for a second and, and take a little bit of encouragement from that. Because I would imagine, as I look out at you, I'm sure there are some people here who have children and have an unbelieving spouse, and you're terrified. You're saying, oh, I love my spouse, but I recognize that they're not having a good godly influence on my son or daughter, and I'm worried which way they might go. Timothy is an example that even in divided and split families, God is good and God is sovereign and he can grab a hold of your child's heart. So continue to pray. But that wasn't the only circumstance we know about Timothy. Do you remember where I said he was from? He was from Lystra. Lystra was a dark place. If you remember, we encountered it for the first time in Acts 14. Paul and Barnabas go there for missions and the people see the miracle that they do in helping a man to walk and they lose their minds. They think the gods have come down to them. And they call Paul Hermes and they call Barnabas Zeus. And they're offering sacrifices. And Paul and Barnabas are like tearing their clothes saying, no, we're just regular men. Do not worship us. Please stop. Right? This was the type of culture, a deeply pagan culture that Timothy was being raised in. 
Parents, are you ever terrified of the culture around us and say, there's no way my kids can live in the midst of this and still come out knowing Jesus as Lord? Timothy proves that they can. If we are committed, if we love our children, and we pray for our children, and we teach our children the ways of God, we can have hope and trust that the Lord will do the work. So look to Timothy and be encouraged and keep pushing forward, because God is greater than any challenges that could come our way. But let's get back to Timothy. We said before uh, that little encouragement that Timothy's father prevented him from being circumcised. Now, why is that such a big deal? Maybe we're not sure. Well, circumcision was of utmost importance to the Jewish people, right? It was the physical identity marker uh, of one's fidelity to God, right? To be a Jew, Jewish male, was to be circumcised. If you were not circumcised, you would not be recognized amongst the faithful community, right? It was so important to the Jewish people that if you remember a couple weeks ago, Pastor Levi led us in Acts chapter 15 in the Jerusalem Council. The church had to meet because there was a big error being introduced to the church. You see, there was these Jewish believers who wanted to insist that to follow Christ still required you to be circumcised. Not only if you were a Jewish believer, but anyone, every male who comes to Christ needed to be circumcised, or so these men thought. But the church met to discuss the matter. Uh, let's look at a brief summary here. Acts 15, 5 to 6. This introduces the problem. So some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, it is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and elders were gathered together to consider this matter. So that was the situation. But do you remember the conclusion they came to? Here's the conclusion in verses 28 to 29. For it seems good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements that you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourself from these, you will do well. Farewell. Right? The conclusion that they came to was that circumcision was not necessary to following Christ. And it was this very decision that Paul is going out to share with all of the churches when he meets Timothy and chooses to partner with them. So then, of course, this raises a very obvious question for our text tonight. Why on, earth was Paul, why on earth did Paul circumcise Timothy? Doesn't that seem a little counterintuitive to do the very same thing that you are going around saying is not necessary? Well, it is important to note, here's one of the key things we need to see this morning. It is important to note that just because something is not necessary for salvation it does not follow that that thing cannot be helpful for the sake of missions. Right? Circumcision was not necessary for salvation, but as we will see, circumcision was very helpful for the sake of missions. Right? A good missionary is willing to do all sorts of things not required of him. If you want to go and do missionary work in Quebec, it would be wise to learn the French language. I mean, you could go without having spent the time, uh, you're probably going to meet a handful of bilingual people, maybe even more. But wouldn't you be received much better if you had to put in the work? You don't have to learn French to be a missionary. You don't have to learn French uh, to be a Christian. And yet it might be very wise in that situation. Or let's say you were going to go and minister to the Orthodox community, Orthodox Jewish community, right? And you're thinking of your missionary strategy. Perhaps you're going to start, I'm going to start letting these guys know about these newfound gospel freedoms in Christ. And we're going to have a pig roast and it is going to be wonderful fun. Right? Bad missionary strategy. 
Is it within your rights? Absolutely. You can all go home and have a wonderful pulled pork sandwich and be a Christian. That's good. But don't expect to reach lost Jewish people for Christ by doing things like this. Right, the simple point that I want you to hear is that just because you are free to do something does not mean that there is nothing else for you to consider. If you care about the Great Commission, uh, then you are also going to consider whether or not doing something will help you reach more people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So in this situation in Acts 16, Paul's not just visiting established churches uh, to share the conclusion that's come to, but he is going out still evangelizing. He's sharing the good news. And Paul's custom was that he would always begin this by going to the synagogue in each new town. And if he had Timothy by his side, and Timothy was a well-known man, known to be a Greek, he would have never really been welcomed. So in order for Timothy to be able to join Paul in effective ministry, it would be very helpful for him to embrace his Jewish heritage and become circumcised. Right? One commentator helpfully puts it like this. Timothy was both Jew and Greek, and because rabbinic law taught that a child born of a Jewish mother and a Greek father was considered to be Jewish, Paul knew Timothy would have constantly offended the Jews if he didn't get circumcised. So as a matter of missionary strategy, as a sign of respect to Jewish heritage, and as an attempt to maintain Jew-Gentile unity, Timothy undergoes the painful surgery. Now you can bet Timothy weighed his options. He knew he was under no obligation to be circumcised, but he also knew that he would be a much more effective witness to the Jewish people should he choose to have the surgery. And he ultimately concluded that effective ministry was more important than his physical comfort. So he had the surgery done. And that's the story. As previously mentioned, it's relatively easy to understand what's going on here, but has some very big implications for how we do missions. So let's end here. Let's ask three things, or let's look at three things that gospel-centered missions will require of us. And the first thing that gospel-centered mission requires of us is that we consider the needs of others. And I think if there's ever a lesson that we need to learn as 21st century North American Christians, it is this one. And it is a lesson that we need to learn not only as it relates to missions, but even just as we do life together, right? As we interact with our coworkers, as we come together with a, as a church, we need to always be considerate of the needs of others. But that's difficult for us in this culture because we are constantly bombarded with a message that you are number one, right? The first thing you need to do is look out for yourself. Other people are important, but they're second, third, maybe even fourth on the list of priorities. Always be looking at yourself and concerned about number one, right? This might seem like valid advice. It is important to look after your, yourself, right? Your own mental health matters. Your own physical health matters. But I would propose this. I think some of us have become so self-obsessed that we don't realize that this self-obsession is actually what is killing us. When we spend all of our time looking at ourselves, we are robbing ourselves from the joy and health in life that comes from reaching out and focusing on other people and caring for them. Right? There's nothing, well, there's few things more healing than caring for other people, right? It makes you feel better about yourself makes you feel good. It puts you in alignment with God's will for your life, and that is the most life-giving thing you can do. The Bible teaches this again and again. When Jesus was once asked, what is the greatest commandment? Do you remember what he said? 
he said this, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment, and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. This means that when you make decisions, you shouldn't just be asking, how will this affect me? You should also be asking yourself, how will this change my relationship with God? Will it help it or will it kill it? And not only that, but you should say, how will this help my relationship with those around me? Will it foster growth or will it kill it? Now, if I had to guess, if many of us in this room were put in Timothy's decision, we would not come to the same conclusion he did. Our inner dialogue would probably go something like this. No way, I am not getting circumcised. That would be horribly painful, but it's also not necessary. Christ has freed me from that obligation, and I will walk in that freedom. Why would I do something just to win the favor of a bunch of old-fashioned legalists? They can either accept me as I am, or they can miss out on the good news that I have to share with them. I imagine that many of us would say something similar to that. Because not only does it help us avoid the sacrifice, but it's still spiritual. It's still rooted in gospel freedoms, right? So we can still maintain a good face, right? But astonishingly, that's not what Timothy did. Timothy knew that he would have no witness among the Jews if he remained uncircumcised. They would not listen to a single word that this uncircumcised Jew had to say. Now he could have, as we said, shrug his shoulders and allow them to face the consequences of their own hardness of heart. But he instead put the spiritual needs of the Jewish people above his own comforts, and he went through with the operation. Now this is what it means to be considerate of others. To be self-sacrificing for the good of those around you is consideration of others. If we want to reach more people with the gospel, we'll sometimes need to enter in, with, in relationship with them on their own terms. Now to be clear, this does not mean that we should involve ourselves in sinful action in order to be more relatable, right? I'm not advocating that you start cussing and participating in the crew joking around the lunch table just in order to win an audience and build those bridges, right? To entice people to sin and participate in sin in order to share the gospel would be very counterintuitive. So don't do things like that. But in this case, Timothy getting circumcised was not a sin, nor was it something he was required to do. It was a morally neutral option. But he did it because it was a cultural custom that would open doors for effective ministry. In the same way, in our missions, in our evangelism, we should be aware of the cultural customs of those around us. I love the way commentator Tony Merida puts it. He says this, if people reject your ministry, make sure it's the gospel and not your cultural biases and practices that's the stumbling block to effectiveness. If you need to wear a yarmulke when speaking to Jews, then do it. If you need to sit on the floor when speaking with Muslims, sit on the floor. If you need to wear a particular type of robe in a village in order to address the unreached, then put on the robe. If you need to abstain from certain foods, do it. Put no stumbling block in the way of the gospel. Now, that's Tony Merida's advice, but that's also the advice of the Apostle Paul. That was his practice. Look with me at 1 Corinthians 9, verses 19 to 23. He says, For though I am free from all, 
I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not myself being under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it for the sake of the gospel that I might share with them in its blessings. Let's take a minute and let's ask ourselves, what does this mean for us here in Aurelia? Is there any ways that we might be unintentionally putting up stumbling blocks to those around us that would prohibit us from sharing the gospel? Maybe one of those things that you are free to do but you do not have to do is constantly sharing your opinion on any and every subject, right? Praise the Lord, we live in Canada. We have freedom of speech and we can say all sorts of offensive things and no one can get us in trouble for it. And many of us take up that opportunity, right? But right now we are living in an increasingly divided world. Everyone has an opinion on everything. And if you don't agree with them, they instantly cast you on the other side and they want nothing else to do with you. So even though you're welcome to have an opinion on everything, perhaps the best thing you can do as a Christian is keep some of those opinions to yourself. We could take politics, for example, right? You are free to have a favorite political party. You are free to think other political parties are really unwise and unhelpful, but you don't need to lead with this in every conversation, right? Have a favorite political party. I have a favorite political party, but I never post about them on Facebook or Instagram, right? And maybe you shouldn't either. Again, you're free to, you're not sinning, you're not gonna come under church discipline if you put whatever political party flag in front of your house. By all means, you're free to do that. But I know if I were to do that, I would lose witness with some of my neighbors. I know that for a fact, because I've had them share their political views with me, and I don't agree with them. But rather than fighting them on this, I was like, you know what? They can believe what they want. I'm more concerned that they know Jesus. So I'll keep my political opinions a little bit quiet. So in order to have these relationships with Jesus, and maybe as this relationship develops, we'll have these conversations. I'm not saying avoid any kind of serious conversation, but don't lead with things that can cause unnecessary offense. Similarly, uh, there's another funny thing, funny and grievous thing that sometimes happens on social media. There's almost a comical movement within the young, reformed world uh, where we like to boast once again in our freedoms. Uh, So there is a small culture of people who love nothing more than to boast uh, whenever they buy a new bottle of whiskey, right? They'll put that up on Instagram just so people know, I am a Christian who is free to do what I want to do, and here it is. These are the same people who like nothing more than maybe lighting up a cigar around a campfire when they know someone is near them uh, that might be a little bit disturbed by such actions. Now, are you free to drink in moderation? Are you free to perhaps enjoy a cigar around the fire in order to celebrate an occasion? Sure, you have those freedoms, but don't lead with them. Don't seek to live your life in order to cause offense and to drive your freedoms down the throats of others. That's not the Christian way. That is not accomplishing anything. Doing things like this is the exact opposite of what the Apostle Paul modeled in 1 Corinthians 8. 
In 8.13, Paul says, Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. Would you do the same thing? We all have countless freedoms that might make your brother or sister stumble. Now, you're welcome to enjoy them, but if you know it will make them stumble, I would encourage you, follow Christ's example, follow Paul's example, and abstain, because their spiritual good is far more important than any temporary earthly pleasure. Now, let's move on to our next point. Gospel-centered mission will require us to guard the gospel. Right? It's very possible that as we elevate the need to consider, be considerate of others, that we could fall into the trap of losing the gospel. Right? This is the opposite side of the ditch. On one hand, we could be so consumed with loving others and making them feel welcome that we never say anything, we never do anything, and we are useless. Maybe we even compromise on the gospel and make it say less than it does. But good mission work will require us to guard the gospel, to maintain the truth of the gospel. Right? The danger is always there that we can make too much of one teaching in the scripture that we ignore another. We do this in many different areas. We could take salvation, for example. Right? I deeply believe that God is sovereign over our salvation. But I also recognize that God calls us to make a decision for him. Right? We are to repent of our sins and be baptized and, and commit our lives to him. How do these two go hand in hand? On one ditch, you could say, no, God is sovereign. It doesn't matter what you do, so scrap your missions work. Uh, scrap sharing the gospel. God will save those whom he wants to save, and you'll sort out the rest. Uh, so just stay quiet and merit. It's all good. God's got it covered. That sounds crazy, but that was the history of the church for a certain period of time. But on the other end, you could say, no, we got to really plead, and we've got to emotionally manipulate, and we got to work all of this. We're taking two texts, two valid texts, and failing to bring them together. We're just landing in one. And we could do that here. We could so elevate the need to be considerate of others that we lose the gospel. So, I want us to consider how we guard the gospel. Right? Acts 16 presents us the need to make morally neutral compromises to maximize the reach of the gospel. However, we must be careful not to obscure the gospel of compromise. To balance this truth, I want you to look at another passage with me. Galatians 2, 3-5. In this passage, we meet another young man, another helper of, Tim, of Paul, and his name is Titus. Right? He was also forced to consider the matter of whether or not to be circumcised. Pretty wild, right? Different world than the one we're living in. Here we've got two young men who are assisting Paul in ministry, both of them feeling this pressure to be circumcised. Timothy was circumcised. But look at the decision that was made for Titus. Galatians 2, 3-5 says this. But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Yet because a false brother secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus, so that that might bring us back into slavery, to them we did not yield in submission even for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. So the situation between Timothy and Titus differed in two important regards. First, Titus had no Jewish heritage. This means that were he to be circumcised, it would not unlock any special doors with the Jewish people. Right? It, would have, it would have accomplished nothing other than appeasing some of the Jew, Jews who wanted him to get circumcised to belong to the church. And second, and more importantly... 
false brothers were seeking to coerce Titus into being circumcised as a necessary salvific act. They said, you cannot belong here unless you are circumcised. Right? Had Titus chosen to give in to that pressure, he wouldn't have been helping the advancement of the gospel. He wouldn't have been opening doors. He would have been shutting every door to the truth of the gospel that says that we have new freedom in Christ, that circumcision will not save you. And the Apostle Paul makes it abundantly clear that that is why Titus was not circumcised. He says, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. The good news of the gospel is that we are saved by grace through faith and not a result of works. There is no action that we can do to save ourselves, and this includes circumcision. Now, as I said, in our experience, we've likely never felt the pressure to be circumcised in order to belong here, right? But we do encounter pressures from other sources, other things that we've elevated too high that says you must come in line or you do not belong to the family of God. Right? Some of you will remember the worship wars of yesteryear, right? When all of a sudden new churches were introducing things like the electric guitar and the drum set, and it caused a split. People said, you cannot, like drum sets worship Satan, not Jesus. Get those out of here. And it was messy, and it was broken as people said, no, to worship God, to be a Christian, is to only sing certain songs with certain instruments, and we're going to split and divide because we do not recognize the faith of one another, right? Worship is important. How we do worship is important. But in that, we are elevating cultural customs, personal preferences over and above the gospel. Let's think of another thing we sometimes add to the gospel. And this might not even be a pressure that's coming on us from the outside, but sometimes we put pressure on ourselves on the inside for good things. The thing I want to think about right now is Bible reading. Right? Some of us think if we are not doing the one-year RMM plan, does RCC do the RMM plan? Yeah. If you're not doing the one-year RMM plan, you're less of a Christian. If you are not reading four chapters a day, then maybe I'm not saved. Right? We want to check those boxes off, and when we check those boxes off, we feel as though we are assuring ourselves. We are working our way into God's love, and he's going to care about us, and that's what truly makes us a Christian. Can I say this? Can I say that your Bible reading is not what saves you? It's not what makes you a Christian? It's a good thing. I want you all to be reading your Bibles, and you're going to see that throughout. Reading your Bible is a good thing, but it is not the thing that will save you. Only Jesus can save you. So whether you are in a low period where you haven't picked up your Bible in a couple of days, maybe even longer, or whether you're reading 20 chapters a day, this is not what saves you. That's looking to your own works and your own successes. The same could be said of all the good things we do. Your attendance here this morning does not guarantee you into heaven, right? That's not it. It's a good thing. It's a helpful thing. It'll help you grow, but it's not Jesus. It is not the salvation that comes through his death and his resurrection. We risk obscuring the gospel whenever we turn anything, whether it's a cultural custom or a good spiritual dis discipline into an absolute. We need to push back on these things. That's why the decision was made to not circumcise Titus. The false brothers were insisting that he could not belong to the family of God unless he was circumcised. And this teaching was in clear contradiction to the word of God and the decision made in Acts 15. So in order to correct this false teaching, the decision was made that Titus would be allowed to remain as he is. Now before we move on from here, I do want to say 
uh, that if we're to guard the gospel, the most important thing we need to do is know the gospel, right? We can't guard it if we do not know it. So study it. So here I'm coming full circle, so you don't think I'm a heretic who's saying, don't read your Bible. I'm saying, read your Bible, study the Bible, you need it. It will give you life. But don't try and make it do something that it was never meant to do. It wasn't meant to save you. It was meant to give you life and health and encouragement, but not to save you. Only the shed blood of Jesus can save you. So study it to know it, because the gospel is under attack. We've talked already about how it's under attack from adding extras to it, but I would argue that probably in our own culture, the tendency is that people are attacking the gospel by subtracting things from it. They're wanting to remove things. So it's not rare to hear a gospel presentation that talks a lot about the assurance of forgiveness. Right? Raise your hand at camp, and if you do that, your sins are covered the rest of your life. Nothing else matters. Live however you want. Right? A lot of talk about the assurance of forgiveness with no mention of a life of discipleship is not a helpful gospel presentation. Right? This is inadequate. It ignores the, Jesus' call to take up your cross and follow him. It ignores the daily repentance that comes with knowing him, of making these types of sacrifices. God's looking to transform us. He doesn't want us to just come as we are and stay as we are. He wants us to come so he can grab a hold of us, transform us, and make us more and more into the image of his son. That's the true gospel message, but we subtract from it, and we ignore some of those things. Why do we do it? We do it because it's more comfortable. When we make the gospel, when we take the hard parts out of the gospel and the truth of God's word, sure, we may find an easier audience, but we're winning them to a half-truth at best. It's not going to offend anyone. It's not going to invite hard questions. It's nothing more than a tickling of ears, but we are to avoid that. It is not a gospel that saves. So once again, I would challenge you, study the true gospel. Dig into God's word. Know it so that you can be prepared to defend it and guard the gospel when it comes under attack so that your mission work will be as effective as possible. Now third and finally, the last thing that gospel-centered mission will require us to do is to make personal sacrifice. Right at the introduction of this sermon, we talked about Hudson Taylor and some of the sacrifices he was willing to make. And do you remember his famous quote? He said, let us in everything not sinful become like the Chinese, that by all means we may save some. Hudson Taylor, once again, sacrificed his time, he, he sacrificed his comforts, and he even sacrificed his health in order to make Christ known. He took Paul's example seriously of becoming all things to all people. And this is the same thing we see Timothy doing here in Acts 16. Right? He made no little sacrifice in order to be effective minister to the Jews. So let me ask you this, the same question I asked you at the start of this morning, what sacrifices are you willing to make in order to be effective witness of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Should you have the desire, should you feel God pulling you to the mission field? Are you willing to go for a period longer than two weeks? A period that would demand of you to spend some time learning a foreign language? Would you maybe even be willing to spend some time learning a trade that would open the doors to otherwise closed countries of this world? Right? There's places in this world, they won't just accept you if you say, hey, I want to go because I want to share Jesus Christ. They'll say, absolutely not, be gone. Uh, but if you say, hey, I want to open up my business here and it's going to prosper and it's going to help the economy, 
say, okay, come on in, and now you've got your opportunity. Are you willing to study and go through the type of work that that will require of you? Or if you are on the missions field, if you're a female in this room, and you're on the mission field in a certain part of the world, and they require you to wear long, sweaty pants that you find remarkably uncomfortable, you do not want to wear, and not only do you not want to wear it, but you find the idea a little bit offensive that certain places in the world would require a lady to wear pants in such hot weather. That is oppressive and outdated. But that is the cultural custom. Are you willing to forgo your comforts in order to make a cultural adaptation in order to be a better witness for the sake of the gospel? But realistically, I'm sure not many of us are going to be packing our bags and moving overseas. But you are all hopefully going to be doing ministry here in our own backyard. So let's think about this a little bit closer to home. What sacrifices can you make here and now in order to bring your life in alignment with the teachings of this text? Are you willing to sing worship songs in musical styles that are a little bit different than your own preference if you know it is going to make this place a little bit more inviting to the young, younger generation to come on in? Will you forgo that? You should. Would you be willing to sacrifice one evening of your week in order to go and volunteer in the lighthouse, in order to rub shoulders with men and women whom you normally would not rub shoulders with. Right? Some of us are so entranced and captured by our Christian bubble that we never interact with anyone who doesn't confess Jesus as Lord. Would you be willing to go and give up your time, whether it's at the lighthouse or whether it's in some other secular club coaching your kids' sport team? Are you willing to sacrifice your time to put yourself in the influence of others so that you could share Jesus with them. That is a sacrifice. Some of these sacrifices can still be fun, but it is a sacrifice nevertheless to say, no, I'm going to take three hours of my week. That's something as small as that can be the start in the right way. We must be willing to do these things that we have every right not to do. There's no requirement that to be a Christian, you need to coach your, your son's little league soccer team. But you should be willing to do it for the sake of Jesus. And we must be willing to not do things that the gospel says, yes, you are permitted to do this. Why? Because the world needs Jesus. And as his followers, we are called to die to ourselves in order to make his name known. That is the challenge of the text. And it's not an easy one. We will need the Lord's help in this. So I want to end by seeking him in prayer and asking for that help. Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you. Uh, we thank you for the privilege it is to gather here, uh, to worship among fellow believers, and to sit under your word. And Lord, I thank you that your word always has life to give us. That, Lord, it rebukes us where we need to be rebuked, and it encourages us when we are downcast and we need to be encouraged. And Lord, we've found that in your text. We thank you for the example of Timothy, a man who, despite all of the cultural odds against him, was saved by you and gave his life to do missions for you, made sacrifices for the sake of your gospel being known around this world. And Lord, we come to you this morning asking for that same strength. Lord, we know we cannot muster it up on our own. Lord, you will strengthen us. By the power of your Holy Spirit, you promise to give us strength. So we are pleading for that, Lord. Help us to say no to ourselves, to forgo the comforts that we love so dear in order to do everything necessary that this world would know you, that this city would know you. 
Lord, thank you that you do not send us out there to do this on our own. Thank you that you do not send us out there as a way that we could earn our salvation. But ultimately, Lord, our rest is in you. We are secure because of your life, death, and resurrection. And Lord, we find peace in that, but we do want to be transformed. So Holy Spirit, transform us more and more into the image of your Son, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.